Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been the leader in waterfowl conservation with over 16 million acres of habitat conserved. DU supporters and volunteers have led the charge to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. You too can play a role in leaving a legacy for the future of waterfowl hunting. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org volunteer. Ducks Unlimited, conservation for a continent. Hello and welcome to the Standard Sportsman Podcast, where your hosts Brent Birch and Kaysen Short will discuss, debate, and detail trending topics within the sport of duck and goose hunting. Brent and Kaysen have over 80 years combined chasing ducks in Arkansas with a like-minded pursuit of leaving waterfowling better than they found it. Each week, you will hear impactful interviews and engaging guests guaranteed to make you a more informed and effective hunter-conservationist. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let us jump into today's show with the guys. Hey guys, it's Brent Birch and Casey Short back again with the Standard Sportsman Podcast coming fresh off of Christmas uh, and also the, the second split in the Arkansas duck season, so... Uh, Case and I actually have a little time on our hands to record a podcast with um, with the season closed opening back up tomorrow. Higna Decoys introduced the first motion goose decoy nearly 30 years ago, and they continue to push the industry today. Check out Higdon.com to see their current lineup, and check out the Foamville Decoys, one of my favorites. Seems like there's always somebody in my blind who's ready to water swat the next duck. So, uh, Case, welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Good to be back. Nice to have a full what 72 hours off it's a big split should uh see a lot of rested birds <laughs> i hope so because uh pre-split um they're leading into christmas we saw a pretty significant drop in in mallards um you know in my yeah. area um and that wasn't just on my farm it was it was the neighborhood um i don't know where they picked up and went but we definitely we definitely lost some birds um which was a little discouraging yeah well, I'll, I'll explain that to our listeners. I said that a little tongue in cheek. I don't think a three day split serves a lot of purpose as far as taking pressure off birds. It's pretty short. Uh, I think that's maybe more for the hunters than it is uh, the resource. So I don't expect a whole lot of change after three days off, but we'll see. Uh, every little bit helps. But we were the same way. Just, yeah, low, low numbers. You know, we were holding onto our birds simply by managing pressure, and you can only do that for so long. Yeah, I've heard, uh, I believe I've heard Luke, Luke Naylor, who was, was our waterfowl coordinator, now chief of wildlife for the Game and Fish Commission, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. But I've heard him say when asked that question, how long of a split actually matters? And I am 99% sure he said at least five days. So mm-hmm. the, the, previously it's been two at Christmas and this year it's three, which was <laughs> to make sure we got to January 31 in the 60 day window but uh yeah i'm a, i'm in agreement that this three-day deal is not going to help a whole lot i'm yeah, i'm glad you pointed that out because i've seen a lot of complaining on facebook and online the last few days that this was some gimmick to write tickets uh but the very people that are upset about it are the exact reason that it's closed today uh and that's to get to the 31st which man we could go down a rabbit hole talking about trent lot and that whole deal 
Um, yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it today. It's it's worth discussing because it's it's part of this puzzle too. So let's uh, I don't know. Let's let's introduce our first repeat guest, our distinguished guest. Uh, tell them who we got today. Yeah, we've got our, our good friend Lee Jost uh, back on the show. He was on here. I don't know a little bit before our duck season started. He had already uh, been hunting in some some areas and had some intel on what he was seeing. You know way far north of here he obviously spends a lot of time in canada uh, in the upper prairies here within the state so um, we're glad to have him back on and get a little more of that and, and talk about some of the stuff he's been seeing as he's bounced around because uh, he's been as far south as missouri uh, and then all over uh, you know, the, the midwest and the prairies there and he's he's coming to arkansas here here pretty quick um so lee welcome to the show oh thanks for having me on Lots, lots happened since we talked last. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yep. Crazy year. Crazy. Yep. Uh, Brent and I were talking the other day. I think, uh, I think Brent said it was kind of the perfect storm. My response was, yeah, and Arkansas is the Andrea Gale. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Here we are. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but that was, I don't, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Nope. You go. I was going to say it came out. Last week, the Arkansas Midwinter Survey for December, and it sparked a lot of interest with, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Brent, I know they said lowest number since they started surveying or lowest number ever. Is that right? Which they haven't flown that survey that long, so maybe that's a little bit it, yeah, it is. But it is the reason it's different. They they changed the transects that they flew um, in a couple of zones so that so to to make it consistent, you know, apples to apples over this time period. It was the lowest number dating back to two thousand nine, which is when they started this this different flight path that they surveyed, and uh, yeah. yeah, the numbers were pretty pitiful. Yeah. So to and and you guys have all got them. I sent them to you. We've seen them. Servicing, but for those that are listening, Arkansas surveyed uh, an estimated seventy-nine thousand mallards. Uh, compare that to a year ago to date, and they surveyed, uh, excuse me, surveyed four hundred eighty thousand mallards. Now, this was before the big winter cold front, December cold front we had last year at Christmas. So we're roughly down four hundred thousand mallards, and that is that's kind of shocking, uh, eye-opening to say the least. Yeah, but we're seeing it. I mean, I, I think the eyeball test would, you know, I don't know, 80,000, I mean, 400,000 missing mallards is kind of wild to think about. But, uh, I mean, yeah, definitely not seeing the the number of birds um, that I would expect to see, especially, you know, I don't think we got the, the, the big push at Halloween. I think it was, everything was like a month delayed almost. I mean, the snows weren't here. The mallards really weren't here. And we were kind of, we're kind of hunting the ducks, you know, that we picked up since Halloween. It seems like we got a push there once the season started and started seeing some numbers, but it, it seems like that, that should have been the Halloween push, you know, volume wise. Right. And then of course the snows were late arriving. It, so it seems like everything's like three or four weeks behind. Yeah. I've definitely gotten that feeling too, especially with the snow geese. Uh, they're pretty, pretty much like clockwork, but they were definitely late this year. Uh, we're in the same boat. You know, we had, Pintails had some early migrators there around Halloween that were consistent. And then it just flattened out. And it really, I think, you know, in around that, we got a two inch rain right before season or so. Seemed to pick up a few birds then, but it's been really, really flat 
since that time. And so I say all of this to say we were wanting to have Lee on anyway. This was a great opportunity to get Lee on and talk about what he's seen in the rest of the country because almost everyone I talk to who is not like us and not overly concerned or not alarmed, I shall say, seem to think that we're just a cold front away from from having a banner duck season. And I look at these other surveys that we've got here in front of us and these numbers that we're going to dive into, and I don't see it. I, I don't see where there's a half million mallards waiting for the opportunity to come to Arkansas. I just don't think they're there. Well, I can, I can chime in here. Right? Um, the one thing I'm sort of worried about, well, everybody knows I'm worried about all kinds of stuff, but the, the ducks aside, right. And we'll get into that and get, we'll get into at least what I see. And then my opinion, which is clearly anecdotal, but, the, the first the first problem that I see in the north is the alarming quality or lack of habitat and then factor in drought and and for those that are listening out there if they're if they're not following this one the drought is way worse than some media that we read says it is like I remember one of the magazines, wrote a headline not too long ago and the big headline on the magazine was Saskatchewan's back. Well, <laughs> it ain't even close to back. Right. So that's like, that's alarming that something like that would even get written. But, and then a couple other things I wanted, let me go this one quick. Cause we're out, we were on it a little bit there. Your midwinter survey. What, we, mallards are one thing. You said there's 80,000 right now, and there was 330 last year. Okay. But total ducks, right? And we all know that mallards are the last ones to get after it, right? And mallards are the ones, and mallards of all the ducks are the ones that if you have an open winter like we're having right now, and we'll talk about that, they're the ones that will hang up, right? They'll hang out with honkers and They'll do whatever they have to do as long as they got an open winter. Quite honestly, many of them don't leave. Okay. But your number here, these numbers don't, I mean, they're not, let's, let's assume they're all true. This is what is hard to imagine. The last year you had a total number of ducks of 1.13 million. Correct. And right, right now you have 400 and a little bit shy of 500,000 so you're, you're down 700,000 ducks mm -hmm. well that versus mallards that means you're you're minus 400,000 somewhere yeah w what are we talking about here gadwall widgeon green wing teal and the rest of 400,000 they here's what i want people to do because they're this is me and believe me i'm part of the me i'm one of us right just start asking questions right yeah just everybody needs to look at this and start asking questions and i mean question everything like okay so we re we hear about the data how's the data collected what are we talking about so let's let's go back to this missing 400,000 if those numbers are legit okay i just came from missouri they're not there. I'm telling you, they're not in Missouri. So if you follow traditional 
migration corridors, you'd have to go right up, follow the Missouri River and go right through South Dakota and up through North Dakota and into Prairie Canada, right? Okay, so the traditional hotspots right now of late season in, well, it's beyond late season, but let's just say in South Dakota, it'd be, you know, they yanked an area on the river and then up through the river and what's on the wildlife refuge at Lake Andes through the through that state up into you know through north dakota and west of bismarck into sakakawea and the refuge there and i mean you're missing a lot of ducks yeah right and i know i know they're still hanging around up north because i was just like earlier today i was talking to ramsey russell and he's just a blast to talk to because he does so much traveling and you know, and I asked him, well, where are the ducks? And he said, where's the winter? <laughs> and I said, well, I get that. I do. That's why this year it's so bizarre in the north that it, it kind of is going to be a little bit of an outlier for us. I wish it wasn't happening right now because I wish we'd get like, I wish it was two feet of snow and minus 10 right now where there was absolutely no excuses on where they're at but unfortunately that's not going to happen this year but i mean it's very possible well it's not even possible i know it's fact that there's there's greenheads in alberta there's greenheads in north dakota south dakota probably some on the mississippi river down towards iowa um you know what that number's like i don't know but i can tell you one thing is there's nowhere near the quality of habitat that we need that we need to bring this thing back to where to where it used to be i'm we're we have to start well you guys had dave rave on the other day right yeah i personally i, I loved the podcast loved, you know agree or argue with it. i loved it because he brought up some heavy talkers right and one of the my favorite one that he brought up was like may pond counts well, how can make how can anybody even say make a point or a case that well pond counts are up for a year, dude? They're so far down. It's from my travel. It's not even remotely close to what it was like in the seventies. Yeah, not even. It's not even. It's not the discussion's not even worth having. It's so far off. But, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep saying what I always say because this is what Ramsey told me. Everywhere he went this year, so far, everybody's saying the same thing. The ducks are still north. They're all waiting on ducks. Well, what if that's what if that's what we're going to say from for the next five years? We're waiting for ducks. Where are they? Well, and I, I feel like I've heard that. I heard that from the you know, last 35, 40 years. It's always, well, they don't migrate anymore. Oh, it's got to get cold up north. You know, it's that's a reoccurring theme with duck hunters, especially in the state of Arkansas. And, and we talked about these Arkansas numbers. We didn't even bother in the spreadsheet I sent you guys. I didn't even bother putting Louisiana in there. So we're not even talking about the missing ducks from that state, which we all know is right. huge. But but just right here in the in the stuff that I sent you, we've got Arkansas, we've got Missouri, we've got the Illinois River Valley and Central mm -hmm. Mississippi River Valley. So above across those four surveys, the only place that mallards are up is the IRV, all four of those. And there's some seven hundred thousand mallards 
that mm-hmm. are not there mm-hmm. compared to the previous year. Now, the same thing you, you brought up, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, mm-hmm. all these other states, right? So let's look at those just in terms of mallards because that's yep. what everybody – that's the most studied up there is, right? Long-term survey, midwinter survey for Minnesota is 18,000 mallards. Wisconsin's 20,000. Michigan, 18,000. Iowa, seventy. Illinois, right at 300,000. Missouri, 332,000. But let's bounce over here to Arkansas. Long-term average for mallards in Arkansas is 792,000 mallards. Like, so when you look Mm -hmm. at that long-term average compared to where we're at right now, that is significant. And and they're not, again, okay, maybe some of these guys are right. Maybe Minnesota's loaded up with mallards. They only survey 18,000 on average anyway. Oh, so what's, wait, what's well, wait, wait a minute. I live in Minnesota. <laughs> no, no, this, this is midwinter. This is U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the, the yeah. Mississippi Flyway data book. Right. It says long-term average for mallards, Minnesota is 18,818. Now, I don't mm-hmm. know when they're flying that midwinter survey, uh, so that could be a lot of it, but I would assume it's compatible with this timing right now, especially if you're looking at 800,000 in Arkansas. Uh, but I guess my, my point to that is if those states are not traditionally wintering or midwintering that many ducks, I know it's a mild year and I'm sure those numbers are up across those states, but sure. it would take a massive amount of ducks, a right. huge increase over the long-term average mm-hmm. to hide mm-hmm. 700,000 mallards right now. Right. I just read, I think I read this year for the first year in history in Minnesota, the mallard was not the number one harvested duck. It dropped to number three. Really? Yeah, in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I saw that. I think too. I heard that too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, it, I don't know if I screen captured that and texted it to you guys. I probably did. I usually do. Because, you know, I'm going to go back going on up on the prairie. And if you keep beating them up like that, I'm not going to be surprised. If, no one should be surprised if you start seeing long term averages that are alarming in mallards, mm-hmm. pintails, and pintails and widgeon. Yeah. Those three. I heard something the other day, and I will I'll refrain from giving too much detail, but we were discussing these trends and the alarming rate of these trends. And they're telling me, uh, I guess there's, there's going to be some numbers come out pretty soon in regards to Arctic population. Um, and I guess on the Canadian side of the border, they're starting to get concerned. And what he what he told me about it really kind of alarmed me was that generally speaking at the flyway meetings, the guys in Canada don't are not overly concerned with harvest on the U S side of the border. Uh, whatever they want to set their stuff, if they can tolerate killing any birds and it doesn't affect them, they're good with it. And I think that's why you see those really liberal bag limits up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 and maybe I misunderstood him. Maybe he didn't mean it. Rules I took it, but it concerned me that here we are managing a continental resource, and potentially our neighbors to the north don't care about our struggles down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was disheartening. Mm-hmm. You guys remember the 1985 Farm Bill, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when they made the part of that, the North American Waterfall Management Plan, right? Yeah, I right. mean, that was between Canada, U.S., and Mexico. I mean, that was the three of them got together and this is what needs to happen, right? And I believe you could fact check this one, but I'm almost positive that at that time there were 11 million mallards 
and they had a goal, a goal of trying to always maintain like 10 million, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're six point something right now, That's seven-ish, right. Yep. right? So think about you're three or four million down from then, then. Yeah. The, the deal is, is like, I, and like I say, it do, there's not enough people that question. And it needs to be respectful, you know, when you're talking to people, because there's going to be people that just absolutely don't agree with any of this. They're going to say hunting pressure's way down. And, you know, in, in license sales show that in Canada, license sales right down or are way down. And I'll go, yeah, well, I, you know, I totally buy that, but hunting pressure does not necessarily mean license sales. Right. The pressure that's up there is ungodly compared to where it was four decades ago, regardless of how many people are hunting, you know, it's like down there in Arkansas in the timber. How many years ago was it when you couldn't get to all the mallards in the trees where they could rest? Yeah. Now with today's equipment, they're being getting, they can get to all of them. Yep. So end. you know what I mean? Pressure. Pressure doesn't mean how many people are hunting. Not the same thing. No, because there's, so, I mean, there's different kinds of, I mean, there's buggy pressure, there's boat pressure, there's, oh, uh, yep. I mean, you can just, you can list all kinds of things. It's not just, uh, yeah, just not how many, mm-hmm. how many guns are going mm-hmm. off. All that matters. Human, any human mm-hmm. interaction. That disturbs mm-hmm. those birds is is pressure, and I think we have a yep. we have a faction of people yep. that have a hard time understanding that. Well, you guys and we, I believe we talked about this one time. At least we did. Maybe, maybe at one of the at the social year, year or two ago. But Mickey Heitmeyer talking to Mickey and Jody Bagan, but I believe it was Mickey, and he was talking about how many times the hen mallard gets moved. Doesn't mean shot at. I mean, just moved. And like what that does to her in the life cycle and having, getting ready to go up north and have eggs, right? Have babies. Yeah. Big deal. Right. So when you. Yeah, go ahead. No. So when you, that's again, you know, I hear these numbers. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. The harvest doesn't matter in Canada. Hunting pressure is way down. Well, there might be less hunters but the amount of pressure put on the birds is it's got to be times 10 it's nowhere near like it was in the 70s not even no no they they, right? they don't have the areas of no. refuge that they want i mean people will say well no, yes they do that you know they put all this money in into all these rest areas and everything else but uh, you know places that weren't rest area that were fully accessible to hunt Back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, up until a couple of years ago, when mud motor motors were invented, there were just places ducks could go that a human couldn't get to. Maybe on foot, but I mean, how many people are actually going to do that? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And then look at you know, look at Prairie Canada or the North. Look at it now and look at how pressure is put on birds. Like how, like the method used hunting versus what it was like 40 50 years ago yeah because way different there was no field hunting you didn't you you didn't grow up hunting them in Mm-mm, dry fields none. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. but the spinner nope. the spinner has changed that dynamic it absolutely did and then and then the social component to it 
now has made it like not necessarily the reasons that you know we hunted or we love to hunt it's different now you know it's different now you have lots of narratives out there that are from the social culture that long term i think are like very detrimental right piles make smiles eight nine ten man by 845 right Mm -hmm. make them pay rent bird a beat down it's really yeah i'm telling you this i make promise you this it's not sustainable and the one thing that's going to happen is the one thing that we don't want to have happen and it's where our days are going to be regulated or they're going to tell us when we can go or can't go but these days of going to canada as a freelance guy and doing what you used to that's they're going to be over well, you talk about mallard disturbance there, and I'm beating a dead horse. But no, do it, it's, beat it. <laughs> it's worse later in the year. We we know the cost of disturbing mallards later in the year, and, and we know the cost of breaking those pair bonds. You you mentioned the '70s, right? And pressure. I'm sitting here looking at framework for the Mississippi Flyway in the '70s, uh, and in 1970, we the season ended January 17th. 71 january 16th and the 20th 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 so nobody hunted past january 20th in in that whole decade mm-hmm. and i know people well it's 11 days man january 15th is pretty well the consensus by the scientific community that is the drop dead date you should be hunting mallards All right before we start doing harm mm-hmm. and we've changed that and you you go look at this. Look at Arkansas right now. How many? What are we going to run here, uh, Brent? Thirty-six days in a row to finish out the season. Um, uh, yeah, some, yeah, somewhere right around in there. But it's also, it's also fifty, fifty-one. This year it's fifty-one out of fifty-four straight days we hunt them. Yeah, right. So it's yeah, pressure isn't. It's insane. It's mm-hmm. not. Not sustainable, I don't think. And we're talking about limited days, and that's so. I brought this up when I started talking about that this week. The survey numbers and all this stuff. You know, what I think people need to realize: if you look at the slide that we took last year, the the amount of population mallards dropped, and the amount of duck, excuse me, the maypon count, how much that dropped. If we drop the same number again this year, we're going to be in restrictive framework for the 2025 season, mm-hmm. and that's what that's why the midwinter surveys are so concerning to me right now because i can't help but read the writing on the wall and think that population is going to drop even more than what it did last year mm-hmm. so i f- i feel like at this point 3 and 30 is avoidable i think it's coming well i i mean i definitely think well what what have we had 27 straight years of liberal regulations yeah yeah and that can't even there's that can't even be close to good. No. What did, what did Dave? A, a good thing. What did Dave Rave say about it? Adaptive harvest management was supposed to adapt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should be adaptive. Yeah. 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 I mean, you have, he said, Bill, I'm telling you, dude, when Dave was on, that was some eye opening stuff, right? And I can see where people would argue with him. And there's going to be, again, my point. He's asking great questions. And a number of them, like, especially that may pond count one it's like it's not the data you're collecting it's how you're collecting it right right the metric is you know because when he talks about 
if you have a cold, a late winter where the frost is in the ground, it it's way different than you've got a pot, then the frost is out of the ground and you're counting water. Mm-hmm. It's when, and then that other one that he was talking about, I was actually going to explain this one to me, but maybe you should do it off air. Is okay. explain to me that thing he said when he'd see they somebody would count the drake, they counted it as a pair. Yeah. Yeah. If they saw, you remember that? Yeah. If they, I do. What I was if that? They saw five unpaired drakes together they would count them as a as a pair i think th- it was something like something like that uh and i have to go back and listen to the episode but yeah it's not like you're you're miscounting a little yeah. bit if that's the case well it's like so now you have a metric that's not, it's not even a real number yeah but he he tied it into you know four or five decades ago the drake to henry to one and what did he say now four to one five to one i'd have to that's i'd have to go i think i think it was so what so what i'm saying is it's like quite honestly it's like whether you know as a sport and hopefully you know there's lots of sportsmen that are starting to listen to this podcast and that's fantastic that you know their eyes might be telling you something different like I was just with all my buddies in Missouri hunting and they said that they don't see this four or five to one Drake to Henry show. They just don't see it. But you guys have seen my photography from back in the day, late on the prairie up in Saskatchewan, right? Oh, it's way more than, it's way more than four to one in Drake's hands. Right. Yeah. So that, are, are they, are it's, they saying it's, it's the difference are they saying they see equal pairings Bert, or, or pretty close to? Yep. 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 But I you know that, that hens and hens and young of the hens and young of the year migrate first. Sure. No question about it. Mm-hmm. Right? But if like now if you were up if you could find a flock up in Canada right now, uh, they'd be greenheads. They'd be all the un all the unbred drakes and the drakes that molted after they had babies. And they go north, and they hang out, and when they come out of the bush, they're boys, and they're adults. And that's it's just way different up there late in the year than it is down here. Way different. Yeah. But still, we're going to serve back to everybody in Lake Ramsey talking to him today. And from people who are ever listening, I'm talking about Ramsey Russell, and he he just travels all over. And he said everywhere he's been, they're all waiting for the ducks to get there. Well, so now you got to ask yourself, wherever you're at, where do they come from? Right. And then follow those migration routes and start asking questions. Well, where are they? I'm telling you, I've been saying this for you how long I've been bitching, right? Where are they? It's alarming. And what's going to happen? is restrictive harvest. The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Waterfowl hunters deserve to have a set of waders that can excel year in and year out throughout the duration of the season. So Sika Gear set out to build the best pair of waders ever. Constructed from Gore-Tex Pro Laminate, the face fabric offers added durability and is breathable in active working conditions while completely sealing out the elements. Importantly, they proudly stand behind all of their Delta Zip wader features with their 100% serviceable guarantee. 
And I'm speaking from experience as I have sent my original pair of Sitka waders from the 2018 season back twice without a hiccup. Engineered to outwork, outlast, and outhunt everything else in the market, the Delta Zip Wader from Sika Gear is the gold standard for reliability. The Chatham Jacket from Tom Beckby features the durable, weatherproof, 8-ounce wax shelter cloth shell that develops a great-looking patina with use. I've actually worn this jacket the last couple of seasons and appreciate the shorter cut to it so it fits great inside my waders. It's also a really good weight for most Arkansas days of field. So if you'd like to mix a little vintage look with your technical gear waders, this is the jacket. You can find the jacket online at TomBetby.com. You can also find it in their brick-and-mortar locations in Wilson, Arkansas, Birmingham, Alabama, and the new store in Oxford, Mississippi. I think I think we had... Brent, what was that post you made? I think it was even yesterday. Did you guys have like a 25-day season? Oh, we've had some, but yeah, that post was uh, 1968. It was an advertisement 60. from uh, 1968 that was still, you know, promoting Arkansas duck hunting despite how bad the seasons were going. And that was the last time we in Arkansas had a 20 day season. We had a couple of seems like one or two, maybe 25, yep, two and then we got into 50s and 40s and 45 and all over the place. This is before AHM, obviously, because I didn't come in until the mid 90s, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, and then we, of course we hit that rough patch, late eighties, early nineties with 30 days. And then we jumped back up. That was drought. 50, 50, 50, that was drought. 60. And then it's been 60 ever since. So yeah. Uh, right. 20 day season. So was, I remember, th- I remember, thir- I, yep. I remember 30 days. Yeah. Here. I, do. I think it was 30 and three. Yep. I think it was 30 and three. That's right. I was, mm-hmm. I was in college. Right. I can for sure see that. Yeah. So the question is, what's that? What's that going to do to the waterfall community? What's going to do to the culture? Are people going to go? Are people going to go? Whoa, barely worth going. No, not even going to go. Well, there'll be a there'll really be, there'll be a grouping of that. There definitely will. There, there's there's a, a faction of hunters that that just have a toe in this sport. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, there'll, there'll be some, there'll be some that this didn't 30 days. Is, I mean, you have that here in Arkansas with turkey hunting. The, our season is so short that a lot of people just walked away. I don't have, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's only, you know, two, three weeks long. I'm, I'm not going to chase them. I'm not that, I'm not that into it. Um, and so mm. I, I think we'll see, mm-hmm. that. I think we'll see that, but I, I do think, uh, well, what'll be interesting to me is the people that don't in the sport now that don't know anything other than 60 and six. Cause there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, for, Oh, well it's like we say, it's been 27 years right now. So for a lot of people, it's been almost three decades of it. Yeah. I mean, you got to think uh, about you got, that. You got people in their mid thirties, uh, or if they pick the sport up, maybe a little bit later, didn't get to go with their dad when they were younger or whatnot, uh, could be 40 years old that have never, experienced anything but a 60-day season and and i don't think people that haven't lived Uh through it like we did like we have don't realize how fast that goes by um and you you catch weather like we've had this year where it's mild for a couple weeks and or everything freezes you know it locks everything up for you know three four five days all of a sudden you're looking at you're you're probably looking at the number of perfect weather hunting days on one Uh hand in a 30-day season 
Yeah. Everything else you're scratching. Yeah. The claw and I, I want to be clear too, for anyone that's. Mm-hmm. That's that's right. I, I want to be clear for anyone listening. I, I'm not lobbying for a three and thirty. I don't want to no. see that. I don't. Des- I, I've been there. I don't want to go back. That's no. so. I think people misunderstand the post. Sometimes they think that you know, like we we want to self impose this crap. Not mm. the case. I yeah. just wish we could have course corrected, or maybe still could course correct before we get there. Right. Um, that's my concern. I think that's why we should be asking questions. Right. No, I, 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 I yeah, I'm with, I'm with you there. I hope I don't, I didn't come off sounding like I want anything restrictive. It's the one thing I don't want. Right. I, you know, I don't want it, but I, every game manager that I've ever talked to say it, it's the most effective thing. When, 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 when they start to become alarmed in the duck population, that's the one change they make is regulate days. Yep. Yeah. Not the number. Not necessarily the limit. I I wish we could do it with, with that, with yeah. regulating harvest. I've had plenty of people self regulating. I wish we could. I've had several people mention. Uh, I mean, they would have zero zero problem if we went to three mallards. Um, and I know of two. two no one. Nobody. Nobody would complain about that. And I know two notable clubs, historic no. notable clubs, that have self imposed a three mallard. Limit mainly, yep. to, mainly to. I'll tell you. Pressure. I'll tell you a conversation. Yeah, I'll tell you a conversation that we had. You know, me and the boys down in Missouri last week, and we we're talking about what we brought up a little earlier, like the pressure on hands, and especially when they're paired up, like right now, and they're paired up. A number of them are, and you just again, I'm going to go back to conversation with like listening to Mickey Heitmeyer talk about this and like the effort that the hen mallard goes through to get ready, head North and go have babies. Right. It's like, she, it's all about her. Right. And then you kill the Drake. Right. Cause I, you know, and I thought that for many years, I thought that I'm like, well, it's not going to hurt if I kill the Drake. And it does. It depends on how late in the year you do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And how you start thinking, you start doing that in January, and her odds of pairing with the Drake are a lot less than they were earlier in the year. Well, yeah, and it's also the energy she has to expend to do that, to repair. You know, she's burning burning all her resources. So, and so for me, a self-imposed regulation that I could put on myself is late in the year, and a pair comes in, I'm not... To me, they're unkillable. They get a hall pass. Yeah. And now, does everybody have to do that? No, and I'm not saying that, right? But I can say my age and what I've been through in my life, and as much as I love to see him and watch him, I don't need another Drake. I can promise you that. I do need to see another Drake, though. Yeah. 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 Right? Just got to see him. Got to be around him. That's my... I just... Well, I mean... Let's say that let's say the three of us went out, and I bet almost everybody that's listening would agree with this. Let's say the three of us go out and we shot five five apiece, that's fifteen, right? Let's say we shot eight. Would it matter? Would it would it have decreased the quality of our our hunt and time together and watching birds and no, wouldn't change it in the least. 
The key is the point. The point is if you're in them and you're seeing them, you won't matter, dude. It won't matter. So I'm glad you said what you just said. Uh, Again, talking to a biologist friend of mine and his former boss, I won't name states or names or anything, but, but the belief by his former boss was that those biologists were just customer service representatives for the state. It wasn't about the resource. It was about hunter satisfaction. And that head of that state measures, measures satisfaction by opportunity days. And it's really, it's, it's putting it, you're, you're putting the cart in front of the horse. I don't care if I can go 365 days a year. If I don't see a duck, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. And that's what AHM is managing the waterfowl framework for maximum opportunity. And I think we've kind of got it wrong. I think we should be managing for maximum population because if there's plenty of ducks out there, I'm happy to go 30 days. I just got to see. There there you go. Therefore, you be after maximum habitat. Yep. (laughs) Quality of habitat. Right. But that goes, you know, that goes against the grain with the, the, you know, this, this limits mentality that that exists that you know i know it didn't exist when i was growing up going hunting with my dad it wasn't i mean it was i mean we knew mm-hmm. we knew we knew whether it was a a crappy hunt an okay hunt a good hunt or a great hunt but it wasn't like you know we're we're going to stay out here until whatever time we're going to shoot everything that comes in the hole cuz we got to get to that limit that, that's just not how it went and mm-hmm. i never heard, never ever ever heard my dad's and his friends talk about it that way, like we do now. Never. Never. Yeah. Nope. Mm-mm. That's right. That's a fact. Was never like that. Mm-mm. I'll tell you another thing, and you guys know this, like how long I've I've been hunting Prairie Canada. My dad started in 1954, and he was in western Saskatchewan around Kindersley, Crobert, Unity, that area, like pretty close to the border of Alberta. And when I started, he brought me my first times, 1974, I was 14 years old. And he brought me out there and I started hunting out there. And then that was around the years where it really started to get dry. And then that awful drought of the eighties. And I mean, uh, just a mega, mega drought. And from there we moved east and the um the quality of habitat back then especially after the drought like um when the drought ended and the water came back the amount of water and the quality of water with the amount of grass that was up there and the grass that was around the water was so different than it is today that now i think when somebody says, well, yeah, as soon as the rains come back, everything will be fine. Well, that's, that's not, that's not true. It'll help. I'm not saying it won't help, but it's not true because just because you have water doesn't mean you're going to have ducks. Doesn't mean that at all. No, you have to have the grass. That's right. And we, we just don't, we just don't have grass. You know, I was hunting blue wing teal on the opener this year on the border, of Minnesota and South Dakota. And I was absolutely blown away at the lack of quality in the water and the habitat compared to when I was a kid out there. There's nothing 
up to the edge, right? And then the water clarity was like not very clear anymore and like major ag in it. Just, it's all worrisome. It's just this whole thing, all these little things add up to this giant problem for me. And again, it's going to take like conversation by us, you know, just, we got to do this. Have to, you know, because the the one thing the feds are going to do is they're going to regulate your days. That's for sure going to happen. Oh, but we'll see. I'm freaked out. I can tell you that. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, I know. I think it's South Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota and Nebraska, I think, went to this. This kind of gets back to the limits conversation. Um, I think they're doing the trial on mm-hmm. the, the three splash rule, three three of any species, any yep. sex. Yep. Uh, have you have you mm-hmm. talked to anybody that's, mm-hmm. that's you know, raised their hand and went that route? Um, yep. And how, how do you mm-hmm. think that's going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, it's, I have a, you know, a, quite honestly, I have a number of friends in south dakota and you know a number of the number of the dudes are you know or ladies are you know greenhead hunters especially late in the year for sure that's but i know a number of them that hunt with their you know family members wives kids and the whole deal and they they kind of like that that three splash rule they kind of like that one yeah where if they come in right and they come in nice and they do it right and they want to be able to do it i'm like bike totally get that not to mention i don't think the number is that like that big a deal and here it, it, so let's say in south dakota you're allowed one bluebill now right i mean really how many people are going to go shoot three bluebills yeah right so you know and quite honestly in eastern south dakota that's bluebills part of the game still there you know, so I don't know. I, I, I like it. I like it. I like the choice that people have. I, I, I totally understand it. Um, again, pe- again, people that are hunting on water doing that too. I mean, the amount of pressure they're putting on the resources minuscule compared to some of the other ways pressure is being put on waterfall. Yeah, ducks, heads. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the people that choose to do the three splash rule also have to, you know, whether they do it right or not. I mean, who knows? Um, Hunters aren't known to be the best at providing data, but I believe they have to log in every day Mm -hmm. and provide, uh, you know, what they, where they hunted, what they harvested um, by, by rule. If they choose to do the three, because they're trying to get a grasp of, how often do you hit that three bird mark? And you know, if mm-hmm. if it's a hunter satisfaction deal, which is mm-hmm. you know, you mm-hmm. can think about hunter satisfaction in a lot of different ways. I, I've always contended or have contended mm-hmm. here for the last bit that our split should should somehow include the full moon window because you know, for a lot of people, hunting on the full moon is tough, but it ends up full moons yep. in a lot of our days, which are it's going to make your hunter satisfied because you, you it's uh, in some places you don't, or styles of hunting you don't have a chance mm-hmm. those days not a chance um and mm-hmm. well factor in right now now factor in 
factor in nocturnal ducks. Mm-hmm. That never happened before either. And now factor that in with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right? I mean, there's, I think part of it, you know, we talk about how, you know, we're probably going to get reduction of days. It's, it's inevitable. We can't we, 60 and six. Uh, it's amazing that we've gone this long. We've already, we've, we've kind of beat that drum uh, pretty hard and, and we've all lived in seasons that were all different. Uh, and there's going to be a grouping of listeners to this that doesn't know anything different, like we said, but, um, I think we also right. have an opportunity to get creative with the way those days lay out um, uh, from a season framework standpoint. Now, game, I mean, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service could give you a window, but what we do inside that window, I think we need to to look at some ways to that that would be better for the birds and also better for for hunter success. Um, I mean, we already talked about this this Christmas split. I mean, if it's to protect families from having their boys and and girls and dads and everybody else leaving christmas you know to go hunt i mean that's a that's a that's a family decision that's not best for the duck right it's, i mean if, it doesn't sound like management to me no no so you know let's give the ducks a break in january uh versus this 36 straight days and 51 out of 54 that we're just beating on them um Let's do some breaks, you know, where the full moon days are sucked up inside of a split and and not messing up people's hunting. Um, anyway, I just mm-hmm. I, I think there's ways for us to get creative within the window that the U.S. Mm-hmm. Fish and Wildlife Service provides us to to make it better for ducks, better for hunters. I, th- I do think there's a real opportunity there. I think we need like and that's one of them, too. And I'm, I agree with you. I think we need to look at everything right now. Like everything that's been done status quo for the past 27 years or what we need to look at everything Mm -hmm. you just brought, you brought up one of, you know, one of my hot button big time. You were talking about hunters might not waterfallers might not be the best at collecting their data or reporting their harvest or whatever, right. Or whatever. And then, you know what I'm, you know, where this is going, you take, you go to Saskatchewan or Alberta, Manitoba. All the Americans that go up there, guides, fitters, rogue, vertly, all of them, plus the DIY guys. When they come back and they fill out their bird declaration form, what percentage of people coming home do you think filled their bird declaration form out accurately? Now, I'm not even asking you for an answer. I'm just asking you to think about this, and especially the listeners. How many do you think do it accurately? All right. Now factor in, we go circle back to what we're talking about, about licenses sold versus pressure. Because I see Instagram, I see outfitters that claim to have shot 7,558 ducks this year. What'd you do with them? Yeah. Yeah. Did all your hunters that were up there that, They've, they've bought a license and they have a license number and it should be easy to track that. And they come across the border. They had to fill out a bird declaration form or they said, well, you know, I don't have any. What'd you do with them? Or look at your bird declaration form. And do you think an outfitter, or a guy that's been up there for 60 days that God knows how many hand pintails he killed. Do you think he filled it out? I don't. 
So what numbers are we looking at? Your metrics a mess. Yeah, it has to be. Think about that. It has one. to be. Oh my aunt, it's gotta be just quite honest, it's gotta be sickening. It has to be. You you bring up questioning stuff. I don't think many people question the the narrative or the the stat that Canada makes up for ten percent of the continental harvest. That that's you know consumed as fact and, and no one really questions it. But but maybe it's time to ask ask questions about that. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, I thought there were some initiatives to get better data out of out of Canada. I, I, I want to say one of the yeah. conservation organizations I don't know. was taking that on. Because there, yeah. there was a starting. I don't know. Question, kind of question that if the data we're getting is is that accurate? Hmm. Well, here's a right. I'm... Another great question as it relates to Canada, and I know it's not going to go anywhere. I know no one north of us cares enough to do anything about it. But why are we not questioning the impact of spinning wing decoys on on ducks, especially year of young hens? You know the style of hunting in those states or provinces has changed tremendously. You know, we're talking about brown ducks in a barley mm-hmm. field and it's, it's the way the game is played now. And no one is stopping to ask, what does this look mm-hmm. like long-term? What, what is the drawback to this? The prevailing thought is, why would I ban a spinning wing decoy? We can kill ducks with them up here. I don't care if it hurts you in Arkansas, Louisiana or wherever. It's what's what's good for me. Well, yeah, and that's that gets back to the hunter mortality. Doesn't matter, you know, deal. Except when the population is taking the slide that it has, it hunter mortality has to matter, and duck shot over spinning wing decoys have to matter. That's that's the that's for me. That's the point right there. It's not that I think there's people that say nobody. Well, too bad we're up here and doesn't matter. You know, we don't care about Arkansas. I don't think that's. I would hope not. I hope hunters aren't lot. Um, but I do think that narrative of hunter mortality and pressure has nothing to do with bird populations. I that one that's the one that I think needs serious work. Because again, if that's true, why do you have plug shotguns? Why can't you bait anymore? Why do you have a split season? Wait, why? If it doesn't have anything to do with why? Why do you have any of this regulation? Right? Yeah. 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 It's that's that doesn't make sense. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, it but is. I do think I do think regulation is inevitable. No. It's inevitable. The numbers just the trend line. Whether you have a little dip or a spike here or there, the trend line's not good. You guys all know the long-term average of pintails, widgeon, and mallards, right? And they're drastically. So everybody's going to say, well, yeah, but it's been drought and it's been dry on the prairie. Well, well the Wyoming teal numbers show the same trend line. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. I think there's a lot of people just afraid of saying it. Mm-hmm. You you got to admit when you look at what you see on Instagram in September, what you see daily, you can't tell me that that's sustainable. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't not. buy that for a minute. No. 
Uh, of course uh, not. Well, Mm-mm. so I'll jump in here real quick since we're, we're kind of back on that subject with spinners. My comment there wasn't to just that nobody cares about Southern hunters. It was just that nobody will voluntarily uh-huh. give up a spinning wing decoy because of the struggles on the Southern end of the flyway. And I mean, I get that. Oh, I get Arkansas wanted people to go along with them when they banned them a few years ago and, and nobody would. And I understand that, you know, until there's right. a lot of data that proves that point, no one's going to willingly let go of them. And I, and I don't blame them either, but I think we should be studying that. We should be asking those questions. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd, you'd love to have an answer before we went to 30 and three. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be nice? Uh, Cause that's going to be, that's going to be a really touchy uh, set of seasons there. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're allowing, Mm-hmm. And, and maybe come out the other side of it. Maybe it's a bunch of. What if we go twenty seven years with thirty and three? I mean, we went thirty years or twenty seven years with sixteen six. Who's to say we don't? Yeah, wow, that long with thirty and three. I mean, you, you can't say, oh, that'll never happen. Yeah. Wow, because it sure could. I mean, how long? How how long has it been dry in Alberta? How long has it been dry in Alberta? Yeah, long time. A long time, long time. in Saskatchewan. Like and I've said this before. I mean, the last time I think I remember a lot of water, quality water, not just wet. Big difference there, right? Yep. Big difference between wet and quality water. I would say it was sometime in the nineties. Yeah. It was sometime in the nineties, maybe even the last half of the nineties, because I ninety nine was just an absolute insane year for the number of greenheads that i that that i that i saw north south i mean it was but but you know during president bush w's when he was run for his second his second term i actually photographed him for the doing a speech um out in the middle of a crp field um, for the bunch of conservation companies, DU, Delta, Pheasants, Isaac Walton League, bunch of them, Conservation Corps, bunch of them there were there. And and they were making a, he was talking about the CRP program, right? About he was going to make it, leave it intact and blah, blah, blah. Well, didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Wasn't intact, right? And then you lose 13.5 million acres of grass all right that that's may loss mm-hmm. right yeah that's just on the u.s side. and it hasn't come back that's just that's oh canada doesn't have a grass program that's right they still drain mm-hmm. that the landscape up there I'm, i can't stress this enough the landscape up up there compared to the mid-70s to right now is recognizable there used to be little potholes up there in pothole country and you would see on all of them sometimes depending on the time of the year but you'd see and i don't mean like like bajillions of ducks right but i mean there was ducks on all of them you could hunt ducks in the afternoon just about anywhere then now because of limited habitat now i do believe that you see especially mallards group up way earlier than they ever used to but i also think that's hunting pressure too and then it forces them to you know one large body of water and but no the the condition the condition of 
water and the quality of the landscape for ducks on the northern prairies is nowhere near what it was decades ago. Yeah, right. I, I, I don't even care if you get a bunch of I don't care if you get a bunch of snow and rain. It's still going to be bad. No. Might be wet. Yeah, these dry years. You know, I've got a, a buddy down here. It's a rice farmer here that really keeps up with you know what's going on farming wise in uh, in Canada, and he sends me clips all the time off farmers Instagram pages from up there of them, you know, as, as these dry years have gone by, they farm closer and closer and closer to the edge of these little wetlands that are the duck producers. Mm -hmm. And he sent me one, even, I think it was last week, maybe the week before I might've sent it to y'all where the, I mean, the guy was on his Instagram account, you know, excited and you sent it to me. Yeah. It lighting the prairie, the prairie grass around this little wetland on fire Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so he could farm it. Uh, yep. that's where yep. the, that's where mallards breed and, 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 it, and it's gone that's that's <laughs> it gone that's it in fact factor that in times 100 there are times up there when you're there late in the fall and your listenership can weigh in on this one the guys and ladies that have been up there and seen this there's some nights where you see like if you're driving at night and you're traveling where you see nothing but fire and smoke on the prairie and that's what it's from though i'll bet this year was one of those years where they were doing it big time yeah they start burning those off and then they put them under the plow and they're they're gone they're gone yeah like you could say well yeah but it'll get wet again and they'll come back no they don't come back like they were well they're not gonna be the same size (laughs) (laughs) they've been worked all the way to no as close as they possibly could Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, I think there's a, I hope everybody like starts to question, question everything, right? And have respectful debate with whoever, you know, about what, what do you guys think is happening? And then voice your opinion. You know, voice it. That's the key that, you know, the, the social media rants and finger pointing and all that jazz, that's not gonna, that's not gonna get us where we want to be. Um, it does have to be some, some intelligent conversations and, and productive dialogue to get, get the wheels Mm kind of turning Mm -hmm. because the rants just put people in defensive mode. It's it's not, it's just not going to be productive. And and that's kind of where we are right now. And we got to transition that. Yep. That's correct. That's, yep. I mean, I talked a little bit, you know, earlier, these, in socially for sure, you know, these narratives that are out there, the grind, the beat down and piles make smiles, rain outs and make them pay rent. And I, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's not good. We should be talking about conservation and habitat and what we can do like I said, I don't care if we go from five to three. Could care less. You go down to two and I'm still going to go. But I want to see five, right? Yeah, that's right. I want to see everybody. Everybody's happy when you see them. Yeah, cause everybody you, is. Because you think about it, okay, you know, even in a six-day season, you've you've really only got X amount of days that, that are going to be right to, to generate activity uh, during shooting hours. Uh, whether they're going to come over your decoy spread or not, all that. But I'll tell you this, and and I do this plenty. I have had terrible hunts, skunks, shot one, maybe two, you know, whatever. 
but I have gotten back to my camp and it's, you know, five thirty. The 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 ducks look like bumblebees going into, you know, two of our spots. And that <laughs> that that eliminates right. the right. That eliminates the bummer of a hunt we just had because it may have been a day, you know, might be like this, like we were currently in, full moon. I can't, I can't control that. I can't do much right. about that. Now, I also respect that the, that the public land hunter doesn't have that. You know, they're not going to sit there and admire all the ducks going into Hallowell Reservoir at Biomeda at dark mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it doesn't do them any good. And in 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 to a degree, mm-hmm. they didn't play a hand in that. Uh, you know, that's that's ground that the game of fish is managing. But I definitely do get satisfaction out of seeing seeing ducks. Seeing ducks at a volume that I go, okay, you know, they they like what we did. I didn't shoot them today, but but I'm seeing them. At, at the end of this second split, I wasn't seeing them. And that was, I left camp as a, a bummed because I was like, I'm not seeing them like I was. And that, that kind of sucks. Right. Right. Well, let's not kid anybody here too. I mean, we all need success to keep to to keep you in it all right you just can't you just can't get you just can't get whipped day after day or week after week when you're going out you know because there's you you know you can't that you can't have that that's right but i i think i think the waterfallers first of all i think there's a silent majority out there of waterfallers that really do care and have would have no problem saying hey yeah man what what do you do to make this thing better long term what do we got to do let's do it right like getting the message out there and how to circle the wagons is i mean that's that's a tough one i think we talked about that didn't we a couple years ago about like a kind of a flyaway council thing we talked about that didn't we yeah a little bit i think so yeah yeah i thought we did I thought we did, but that would involve game managers and legislators and guides, outfitters, DIY guys, everybody that's concerned. Well, right? I, I mean, honestly, that's that's the goal here for Brent and I with this yeah, podcast yeah. is to, mm-hmm. you know, because I would we talked about the the make and pay rent, the the grind, all these you know cliches that are out there, and mm-hmm. I'd be willing to bet the vast majority of the people that say those things have only experienced six and 60. And I point that out just to say that if you've never seen the lean years, maybe, maybe conservation looks different to you because you, you haven't seen it when it's bad. You know, you don't know what you you have a hard time having the same barometer that of us have. Right. So I'm not going to make fun of that. uh, Although sometimes it's easy with comments like that, but but like we're all hunters and we all I'd like to think we all have the same goal and that is to see birds and ultimately to kill birds. You got to see them first, you know, but right. It comes down to conservation. So it does. Yep. That's the goal here is to we don't want to alienate anyone. We're certainly not any fingers, um, not at, at Ducks Unlimited or anybody else because it's nobody's no. fault. It's just mm-hmm. everything changes. And I'm, you know, like, like questioning AHM, you know, so that's a good question. Has it adapted as quick as the habitat has changed? And I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Um, 
maybe it should be more proactive than reactive. But but AHM has been an experiment from day one, and every, most everyone will tell you that that it's always been designed as an experiment. And now we've got a really good set of numbers of this is what happens when populations look like this, and when the work continues as such, harvest numbers do this. So we should be able to regroup and go back and improve upon the system we have. And I think that's that's what we're after here. We want people to ask the right questions, find the right information, and make corrections. Get better at what we do, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think you're, I think that was a great yep. point to make uh, of, of those that have only experienced 16-6. Conservation probably does look a little different because it's, you know, things have been, quote-unquote, so good. Um during this window, even though we can say the last four or five seasons have been tough, which they they have by some standards, but we, I mean, we've had peaks and valleys before, even within the sixty and six. So um, you're right, conservation does look a little bit different than someone that's experienced. I mean, really, how bad habitat was on the on the breeding grounds, you know, with the droughts of the late eighties, early nineties, and and some of those days. So yeah, it's a, not that I was all you know tuned into that when I was. 20 years old because I wasn't uh, I just knew the season went by really fast and we weren't getting to get to shoot that many right. um, but yeah it's a different picture and, and gotta gotta respect that but you also gotta those people uh, that are coming up have to start thinking forward versus the right now because they're gonna be in our shoes someday um, and they're gonna experience some 30s and 3s it's good I mean it's gonna happen it's inevitable uh and guys mm-hmm. are thinking about how yeah, they, yeah. it's going to happen. Yep. How they get on board with the stuff we're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, because because they're you know, the seven stages of hunter, all that, they're gonna they're gonna change. They're gonna evolve into different the stages of a hunter and and um yeah. Maybe if they're a little more proactive about that, uh maybe speed that those stages up, right. maybe that benefits all of us. Um when we're a bunch of old men out there trying to get after them. Uh, and they're our age. <laughs> yeah. We'll all have plenty of ducks, and we'll be back to sixty-day seasons. Mm-hmm. Well, yep, I, it, that's a Brent, that's a great point. We talk all the time about the class of ninety-nine, right? Like mm-hmm. historic waterfowl numbers, spinning decoys. We introduced a ton of people to the sport. What happens when that group will become conservationists when they reach that stage of the hunter? You know, it could be great for right. the sport. Uh, mm-hmm. but we got to lay the groundwork for that now. You know, you you have to <laughs> the same way that we learned to hunt from an uncle or our father or someone else. You know, that conservation t- practices tendencies. Mind, we have to pass that on too. Right. Right. Well, you got to hope that you know. If you look again. I'll go back to you know. I'll go back to being a kid and when we were talking about how bad it, you know you're your post yesterday about the season in 1968 being 20 days long. I re you know, I was eight years old then, but I was duck hunting with dad then. And I remember it being lean. I remember it being, and then I remember the point system, you know, where you had a hundred point hen mallard or a hundred point canvas back, mm-hmm. you know, and you know what I hope, what I hope for the younger folks that are out there is growing up with this 60 day, six bird season for you know you're basically your whole hunting career here is that when it doesn't when you can't do that when you no longer can do that that and it's no longer attainable that that doesn't change 
the reason or the your goal for like why you're doing it. You know, the why. Why do you hunt? Why are you hunting? That's another question to ask yourself. Why? Right? I told you. I mean, hunting him. Don't get me wrong. Love killing green. It's love it. Right? Mm-hmm. But I love seeing him a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot more. And I think that's part part of the rebound uh, of all this too is is we can't just ask questions of of uh you know others because that gets into you know it's it's Arkansas Game and Fish's fault. It's US Fish and Wildlife Service's fault, it's DU's fault. Some of those questions right. to make this go back in the right direction, we gotta we gotta ask ourselves. Uh you know, it's almost like personal reflection. There you go. Am I doing Am I doing everything I there you to go. Do, yep. uh, bring this thing back instead of instead of just complaining about it incessantly? Um mm-hmm. do a little self-reflection. There, and, there you go. Well, we're yep. I mean, we're coming into January right here, and I'm gonna be down south hunting, and I'm this is this is a, a self-imposed restriction that I'm gonna put on myself now, and I'm not killing a Drake off of a hand. Not gonna do it. Yeah. Just be just because of what <laughs> <laughs> like, and I can't unhear it, <laughs> right? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I think everybody needs to take a look at what we can do. You know, I do. I really do. Yeah. Before it's too late. I know that sounds doom and gloom stuff, but boy, oh boy, I've seen an unbelievable amount of change in twenty years right now. Let alone when I was a, from when I was a kid. Yeah. The last twenty have been unreal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We do. I mean, we all want it to be better, yeah. and we definitely don't want to have to be uh, right. You know, talking about these, you're right, like you said, doom and gloom things. But it is the reality of where we are in this this little window, and we got to do some things to turn the tide. And that that we is is us as hunters. It can't always be agencies and conservation organizations and farmers. And there's things we can do too. And that's that's what we've got yep. to get to hustling on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for for fair for fair debate, you know, you know, I t- I loved when you had Dave Rave on, right? Could you get somebody on that can, that can talk about how yeah, well, all the adaptive harvest, and then talk about hunter mortality having no effect on population, and like how that how that data is collected and used and explain that then i think the listener would have both sides and i think that would be great for debate hell i'd love to hear it you know i I, i'm with you i mean i've listened to have you have you guys had ramsey on ever no No. i mean you know ramsey's i think i don't even know if ramsey's still doing his podcast i think he is but i was on it this summer he's talked to some Okay, well, he's had some super interesting game managers on, especially some heavyweights from Canada. And Ramsey would be able to tell you some things that would be, it's interesting, dude. He's, he's talked to some some heavyweights. I, I, I'd love to hear that. I love, you know, <laughs> You know, you look at politics in our country and how divisive it is. That we don't need. That's for sure. That's the one. That's the one thing we don't need. There ain't enough of us anyway. That's nope. right. Right. Totally. Agree. What we do need is to go back to go back to how maybe the left and right, you know, worked across the aisle way more than they do right now. If we could do that, 
and come to some, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it, but I want to be part of the solution. I can promise you that. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't know. I think we can do that. I do think it, I do think that change has to start with us not being told what to do. I think it needs to start with us. That's what I, one good thing. Most of us, most hunters have going for us is we want to know more. That's why waterfowl is doing as well as it is compared to any other bird species. Um, we want to know more. We want to know more about the birds we chase. Mm-hmm. We want that information. So that, that appetite, I think is what's going to, you know, turn mm-hmm. the tide ultimately, or, or keep this thing afloat is our desire to, to learn more and be smarter than we were. And that's, I mean, look at what we know, look at the steps that three of us know now versus 25 years ago. I mean, Oh, yeah. Right. We're all smarter about this now and, and everyone's getting that way. So yeah, I, I think it's it's certainly better than the political divide in our country. But, oh boy. <laughs> we're not going away from Oh yeah. No, no we're not that. we're not gonna go there. No. No. <laughs> no. But yeah. uh well Lee, thanks thanks for being our first uh repeat guest. I'm sure we will have you on a number of times going forward. Appreciate you joining us as always. Uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Thanks for everyone for following along. You can find us uh, on social media at the standard sportsman online at the standard sportsman.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, thank you guys for having me on and I look forward to seeing you here in a couple weeks or so. Yeah. It'd be nice to, uh, to see you in person versus over this microphone. <laughs> sure would be good to be seen for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Light boots. The lightest pair of knee boots you're ever going to find. Weighed in at just 13 ounces each. Putting on a pair of light boots is truly a jaw-dropping experience. Yeti. From the legendary hard coolers to the new barware series, Yeti has you covered. Or check out one of my favorite new products from them, the Loadout Series Go Box. Yeti. Built for the wild.